she worried, and then she went, and then she had the time of her life. On this week's episode, we are going to be talking to Suzanne about her recent travel to Tokyo and to Singapore. I'm excited to hear all about it. Tune in because her story is starting right now. Hi, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Orange Juice Optional. I'm Michelle, and I have Suzanne here with me, as always. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. It's just really wonderful to hear your voice because it's been about a month since I've actually heard it. <laughs> yeah. I was gone for a while, wasn't I? It seemed like forever because there were so many times I'm like, oh, I got to reach out and tell Suzanne about this. But then looking at my phone with you being on such a different time zone, I'm like, oh, it doesn't make sense. And then it kind of gets delayed and like the immediacy of something gets delayed because you're so far away. You're right. But, But you're back and you survived. And I know you have a lot of wonderful stories to share with us. I do. And I am going to just start by saying right before I left, we recorded my panic episode. My episode was like, what the heck am I thinking? I Do you know what I called that episode? (laughs) No, what did you call it? I think I called it Suzanne's Spiral. (laughs) I didn't know how else to explain it. Well, and it was. I was just a few days before leaving. My son, who, side note, is a brilliant travel planner. If you ever need help planning something, you call my son because it's not what he does for his career, although it should be. He is brilliant. He did it for us when we went to London. Not us, the six of us, but us, Jeff and I. He planned that trip for us, and he hit the mark every time. And so he did this for us for Singapore and Tokyo. Before we left, we were really focused on Singapore because I felt like that was the majority of our trip. And Tokyo was kind of a side note until we recorded our episode where I was having my panic attack because I had discovered some things about the Tokyo culture that, or the Japanese culture that... I'm like, I can't do this. There's no way in hell I can do this. I'm not going. I can't go. I hate my son. What was he thinking? He was pushing your comfort zone. He pushed my comfort zone. He pushed all of our comfort zones, but he did it in a magnificent way. And I'm giving him all of the credit because the trip was incredible. And my whole attitude about both Singapore and Tokyo have done a 180. Tokyo, one of my favorite cities I've ever been to. I love this. And all I can say, because I kind of try to remind myself of this as I go through every day, that all anxiety does is still the joy of the moment, but it's a natural response. So why don't we jump into Singapore first, take a little Mm -hmm. break, and then we'll come to Tokyo before we wrap up this episode. And I'll try to keep it, I'll give you the abridged version, but. (laughs) Okay, but I want like all the salacious details, like did Jeff, and I guess salacious isn't the right word, (laughs) like all the the tea, like did Jeff lose his passport? Did he cause a little trouble for you? Everywhere, everywhere we went. Okay, well, we're going (laughs) to jump 
into that in just a moment. Okay, Suzanne, the floor is yours. Share with us your experience in Singapore. Well, or getting to Singapore because there were flights there and back. Involved because we had to fly from Phoenix to Seattle. We spent the night in Seattle, got up and got on a flight that left Seattle at 7 a.m. We flew to San Francisco. We had like two and a half hours in San Francisco. And we went San Francisco to Singapore nonstop. And that was 17 hours of nonstop flying. And I'm just going to put this in a little bit of perspective. This is how long 17 hours is, is that they bring on two crews on the aircraft. So, and their shifts time out. Their shifts time out. So you get one, you get the first shift. They go and they're off for eight hours. They go somewhere on the plane. I don't know where. I imagine in the back of the plane, there's a designated area for the flight, for the crew. Second shift comes on and then they work for eight hours and then they go back to their room or whatever's back there. And the first shift comes back on duty until we land. And that, to me, it blew my mind. It's like, who would have thought? Who would have thought is right. I never would have considered that. Yeah. And so we arrive in Singapore 17 hours later, but we have crossed the international date line. So it is 15 hours later than what it is in Phoenix, Arizona, where we left basically two days before. So I'm actually three days ahead from the two days be- of travel that we went through. And I was terrified of the jet lag. Didn't happen in Singapore. And I think it's because we landed in Singapore about 4.30 in the afternoon. So by the time you get to the hotel, get checked in, make yourself go have a meal somewhere, dinner, walk around and explore a little bit. There, it's like nine, ten o'clock at night, and you go to sleep, and you're exhausted from that travel. You sleep all night, and then you get up at six in the morning or seven in the morning, and you start your day. And we all, even the kids, without missing a beat, hit the ground running. That's remarkable. So, Flying over there, jet lag wasn't an issue. It's just you got there at a reasonable time, made it through a reasonable evening, and then woke up the next day like, here we are. Yep. Here we are. And let's. And then my son had a full itinerary, an itinerary of what we were going to do every single day we were in Singapore. And we did it like clockwork. And And there were a few hiccups like, you know, we had to ride the train and and he was very much after the fact. It's like, mm-hmm, yeah, train, not not so good with kids and kid gear and all of the paraphernalia. It's worth the taxi or the Uber to get around when you have kids and kid gear. And but we did it. We we experienced the the train 
transportation. Okay, so that's a win. Win number one. Yep. We, We went to the zoo, best zoo in the world, and it holds up to its reputation. It was an amazing zoo. It's a zoo that you would probably want to spend two or three days at instead of, you know, four or five hours. And it was 95 degrees, 95% humidity. We were dripping sweat like I've never dripped sweat before. It was unbelievably hot. But the Singapore Zoo has shaded walkways. So you're never really in the direct sun, which makes a huge difference. They also have buildings that are air-conditioned exhibits. So you have short opportunities to cool down. I mean, they just think of everything. So, yep, I felt like the zoo was win number two. And I'm not going to go through every day our itinerary because we'll be here until next Thursday recording. But then my three-year-old grandson, who was, I was going to say starting to hit the wall, but not really. He was such a trooper was getting hungry. And, you know, that's a big hurdle for me. Uh Uh-oh, food in a foreign country. What are we going to eat? And dear Mr. Logan sees McDonald's. Now talk about win number three. It's like McDonald's for a three-year-old when you're tired and hungry and hot. Perfect solution. McDonald's for Michelle at my age when I'm hungry is a win. I don't even need to be hot or cold. I just love McDonald's. I know. And they do not disappoint. And it's like, thank you, Singapore, (laughs) for putting, somehow they know where to put the McDonald's to please the children. And and the adults, there were plenty of adults eating McDonald's. So we found when we've gone to Europe that sometimes their McDonald's or their fast food chains are a little upscale. Like they add things for the adults. Sometimes that's drinking, which I I think you said that was not something that happened in Singapore, but I could be wrong or it was very expensive there. Did they have options on their menu at McDonald's that were different from the US that appealed to you and your Okay, well in all honesty, I didn't I never ate at McDonald's. I think it was Singapore had a special Singapore sandwich and I can't remember what it was and I think my either my son or my daughter-in-law tried it but it was like it was a goal of theirs to try this sandwich at McDonald's everything about Singapore is upscale which is probably part of the reason why I loved it so much do you think yeah I think (laughs) it's like there is nothing about Singapore except for maybe the heat that I didn't absolutely adore, which I kept saying to myself, shame on you for making assumptions about this city, that you weren't going to like this city. Shame on me because I should have gone in with a much more open mind, much less anxiety. And because from the get-go, the culture was the, the friendliest, kindest, most loving culture in the world that I, where I've been. And as Greg pointed out to us before we left, that Singapore is considered the safest city in the world. Tokyo is a close second, I have to say. And he knew that, but we felt safe. We felt pampered. We felt 
like they were happy to see us. They loved having us there. And except for when I got to Christian Dior, the whole nother story. But truly, truly, the the kindest, friendliest culture I've ever experienced. I'm so happy that you found that there because I know you were super hesitant and worried about mm-hmm. what was on the other side of the dateline, international right. dateline. So this is very positive, Suzanne. So this is the other thing about Singapore that I didn't ever expect to happen. But everything is state of the art. Everything is like cutting edge, but in such a good way. We took the kids to a museum that is a interactive museum. And I can't even explain it. But coolest museum by far any of us have ever been in. We as adults had as much fun in this museum as the kids did. Where, and I'll give you just one example. You go into this room and there's a digital screen, room size screen of a cityscape, or another room was an oceanscape. And then there are these little cutout pictures like. In the oceanscape, Logan picked a turtle. So we colored the turtle, we put his name on it, and then we handed it to the man. He digitally scanned it, and the turtle starts swimming in the ocean, in the digital ocean. And we found the turtle, and then we followed the turtle in the ocean. That's really cool. And then we did the same in the cityscape where Logan picked an airplane, of course, because he loves airplanes. We colored it. We put his name on it. And he was given like this little remote control and he could fly the airplane on this digital screen. And it's a room filled screen, floor to ceiling, you know, three walls. And so he could fly it through the city. I mean, it was unbelievable. Wow, that does sound really amazing. And how fun for a little three-year-old to be able to see your work out there displayed and you have control to move it and stuff to turn right. it into animation. Right. Well, and don't think that I didn't do the same. I mean, oh, I know you much, did. It was as much fun for me as anything. So that does sound completely amazing. But I do have to ask you about the coffee and the drinks. Did you get right. both while you were there? Oh, there's coffee everywhere. Singapore loves coffee. I could get coffee. They had in our room, there was a coffee, an espresso coffee machine. I could have my coffee as soon as I got up in the morning. Every restaurant served coffee morning, noon, and night. Yeah. What was I thinking? I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to drink coffee. Oh my God. What about your Chardonnay? Yep. Chardonnay everywhere I went. Not necessarily California Napa Chardonnay, but I drank some pretty amazing Chardonnays from other parts of the world that it put Napa Chardonnay to shame. I mean, so that's a bold statement. That's pretty impressive. And it's like, do I really lead such a shallow life that I can't see outside of my own comfort zone to know that there are things in this world that are better than what I have? Do you want me to answer that? No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like, ugh, seriously. 
And I don't know how many times I've said that to myself on this trip where it's like, yes, Suzanne, you know, quit being so narrow-minded and, you know, experience the world a little more positively because it was such an incredible experience. Well, most of it was because yeah. you do have a story about Christian Dior that I'm dying to hear that you kind yeah. of dropped that bomb while you were 15 hours ahead of us. And I've right. not heard what happened there. Well, and it wasn't personal, although it kind of was. And and it happened to me both in Singapore and in Tokyo. And I am assuming it's a little different how they manage their stores in those two cities versus how they manage them in the United States. Because you and I have shopped in many Christian Dior's. I love Christian Dior. It is a happy place for me. But in Singapore and in Tokyo, you have to stand in line to get in. I hate that. I know. And I always thought that was such a COVID thing. And then they cut. But I think in Singapore and in Tokyo, it's pretty standard. And I don't know if it was like that before. Anyway, Do you think standing- it's standard as like a brand thing for the higher end stores like Louis Vuitton and Christian Dior? Do you think Louis it's just Vuitton. kind of a showy thing for them? Well, Louis Vuitton was not like that at all. Okay. Um, we could walk in and out of any Louis Vuitton, but Louis Vuitton's a dime a dozen. I mean, there's one on every corner. Whereas Christian Dior, you really have to seek out. Chanel was like that. Prada was like that, where you stand in line and then there's a host that greets you at the door and he asks what you're shopping for today. And you don't, you don't answer with, I just want to shop. You have to have a specific thing in mind. And so first time I went to Christian Dior, after standing in line, he asked me what I was shopping for. Then he wants to show me the screen, the website and have me point out what specifically I'm looking at. And it's like, well, I don't really know. And so I actually point to something just so I can get my foot in the door. And then he assigns me a salesperson at the counter where that item is. She pulls it for me. I look at it. And then if I'm not going to buy it, I'm escorted out of the store. Good customer service. How is that? I don't know that Good customer service is necessarily a thing. It's but, like how they run their store. But that does not promote sales because I like to go in. Yeah, and look around. Yeah, how does that promote shopping? Like that is limiting. You want to give somebody an experience right. and to say, oh, if you're not buying this, you're being escorted out. Like, how is that fair? Right, exactly. And, but... I think in those stores in both Singapore and Tokyo, it's not necessarily about the general public shopping and making sales. Because in Tokyo, for example, I was in line at Christian Dior. I thought, well, I'm going to try this. And and there were, or maybe that was Singapore, can't remember. There were two customers who had appointments with specific salespeople in Christian Dior. They didn't have to wait in line. They showed up. Their person came out and greeted them, brought them into the store. And and in the Tokyo one, it was interesting because the gentleman that was with the salesperson in Tokyo, I saw him all over the store. 
he was on the elevator. He was like, well, I want to go down to handbags right now. Oh, can we go to the shoe department quick before I leave? Oh, I forgot to look at um, women's dresses. I want to get my wife something. And he was all over the store. But I think they knew that he was there to spend money, serious money, not, I think I'll buy a handbag money. Well, those handbags aren't cheap. So no, they're not. They're not. Well, I just think that's really limiting. And that is kind of disappointing. Have you gotten I, over that yet? Do you still like Christian Dior? Well, not in, not in Tokyo and not in Singapore, I don't. And I said, and it really soured me when we were in Tokyo, because I was like, well, because as you know, I am looking at some dinnerware. And when we were in London, and I kept going back to our London story where we went in, and I wanted to buy dinnerware, and they shipped to the United States. So when I got to Tokyo, I asked, because it was a huge Christian Dior, like the one we saw in London. And they asked me what I wanted to see. And I said, dinnerware. So they sent me up to the third floor with an escort to go to dinnerware. And my first question was, will you ship to the United States? And she said, no. And then they wanted to escort me out. So they escorted me out of the store. And as I was being escorted out, I saw the cafe and it's like, well, wait, can I have coffee? And so by that time, I was on the verge of tears because it's like, wait a minute, this is not what I like. But then I met everyone for lunch and I told them about the cafe. or I don't know really remember how that all came about. And then Greg's like, these places have cafes. That's how you get in. You say you're going to the cafe. And Louis Vuitton has a cafe. I mean, and these Gucci has a beautiful cafe. Christian Dior, these are like world famous cafes that you go to these cafes. So then we went back and Greg and Jamie got a table at the Christian Dior cafe. And then Jeff and I came in and met them. We had to be escorted to the cafe, but that's how we got to the cafe, which was delightful, delightful. Well, there's your silver lining then. Yeah. Exactly. So anything else you want to share about Singapore before we move on to Tokyo? No, I could go on for days, but I won't. No, I mean, we will talk about this in depth a little bit more when I see <laughs> you, will. but like we only we have will. a time period here. So we'll just move on to Tokyo and then, yeah, see where it goes from there. Here we go. Okay. Okay, so you've left Singapore. You've flown how many hours to Tokyo? Seven and a half hours to Tokyo. Seven and a half hours to Tokyo, and you arrive. Were you apprehensive getting off the plane <laughs> in Tokyo after just telling oh, yourself yeah. that you needed to like broaden your horizon? Yeah, hell yeah. I was like, I wasn't sure I really wanted to be in Tokyo. I didn't know what to expect. But again, my son... He had everything. He had all of the, the things on his list that he wanted to see, and they're the highlights of Tokyo. And we needed more days in Tokyo because we didn't get everything. But the things we did were incredible. I could see why we did them, and such a cool, cool city. And again, immaculately clean, and incredibly safe where to the point that we saw very young children 
walking by themselves. At one point, my daughter-in-law saw a mother walking her three or four-year-old child to a stoplight, kissing the child goodbye, and the four-year-old went one direction and she went another direction. And that child crossed the street by himself without any supervision. Wow, that is, that just freaks me out. Hearing hearing this because in no world, even if it was safe, could I envision myself doing that with my child? But hey, if you live in a safe city, you trust your city. And it's part of their culture. And it's part of the culture, yeah. It's what they do. And and no one thinks twice about it. And to the point in both Singapore and in Tokyo, it did not take us long to feel that same security with our children, my grandchildren. I don't ever see that let go of them, but I never did we have a worry. I was more worried about them wandering off and getting lost, but we had air tags on Logan. So if he did, you know, go around a corner, we lost it, we'd be able to find him. But yeah, smart. I love those air tags, not yep. only for bags and wallets anymore, but now for kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, just I, there's nothing, nothing bad I can say about Tokyo or Japan. Okay. Or, so my son loves Tokyo. He's gone over there several times. So everything right. you're saying is kind of on point with what he shared. Right. And after our my panic episode that we recorded before I left, you reached out to your son and I have his answers that you sent me to put my mind at ease because I was worried about public transportation. And he said it is the cheapest and easiest, but he pointed out that everything is in Japanese and in English. So, which was true. So, so let me ask, did you get to hire a private car or did you have to use public transportation everywhere? Well, in Tokyo, we used, no, we did not. We used public transportation a couple times in both Singapore and in Tokyo, but you can call it, you can use your Uber app and the taxis in both cities respond to Uber. So you can still request the type of car you need but you can do a taxi. You just order it on Uber. So you don't have to worry about exchanging money. It just gets charged your credit card. Okay, well, and- let's go have a list of those concerns you had last time. So I want you to tell me if that was valid or not valid and like okay. what you found, because maybe the listeners are planning a trip to Tokyo and they'll find it valuable. I think they will. Okay, so did they have coffee? Oh, hell yes. And coffee is like a thing. In both cities, coffee was everywhere, and you always had a choice of coffee or tea. I got my Starbucks mugs. You know, I collect Starbucks mugs wherever I go. God, I was going to ask that. Yeah. Deal. Yep. Okay. And they had wine. And they had wine. And I know that one of the cities I was worried about the price of wine, I think it was Singapore, that they warned us to buy our alcohol at the duty-free shop when we arrived because it was so expensive. I can honestly say I didn't pay attention to the price. I just bought wine wherever I went. I mean, I had my glass of wine at dinner and I didn't really pay too much attention, but I did not 
ever notice it being extraordinarily expensive. Okay, well, that's good to know. How about the public trash cans? None. There are no public trash cans. And so you do have to carry your own trash. But I also kind of understand that because it's such a clean city, both cities, and culturally, they just automatically take care of their own trash personally. And I think that if you had trash cans and you have to hire someone to empty those trash cans, and if they don't empty them on a regular basis, then you have an accumulation of trash, which would contribute to a mess of city. Okay, that makes sense. What about ATMs? Were you able to find them to get cash? We were. They're not plentiful. But you could usually ask, like at the hotel, you could ask the concierge and the concierge could direct you to an ATM. I went in with Yen into Tokyo. So we actually never used an ATM. We could use, I know that the international credit card was a worry of mine, but we never had a problem using our credit card. Okay. And that was going to be my next question. Did most restaurants and places that you went accept credit card or were they more cash-based? Because I right. thought that and was a concern. In Singapore, the the locals go to these areas called hawker centers where they eat lunch and they're like fresh food trucks except they're booths and they're set up in this huge shopping, not shopping area, it's just food after food after food and they're booths, not trucks. But like there, you had to pay cash. So we, when we went to the Hawker Center, we had to make sure we had cash because they wouldn't have. I think the local places, you have to have cash. They're not going to take a credit card. But we only went to the Hawker Center once. So and we were prepared. Okay. And is there anything while you were over there that you were surprised to find that you hadn't prepared for or hadn't heard about prior to going? Yeah, pretty much everything. Pretty much, I, and like I said, my son did an amazing job planning it, but both my daughter-in-law and I talked about when we landed in San Francisco, that feeling of being homesick for Japan when we landed in San Francisco. And she and I separately had that same exact feeling, like we weren't quite ready to leave. And I only know that feeling from having it expressed from my son, that that feeling. So yeah. that seems pretty, I don't want to say typical because- Universal though. I universal. Think. That's a good word because it just holds something, some energy yeah, there. And there is. And like I think I told you in a text at some point, Japan is a very tranquil country and it's very, it feels very spiritual and it feels very calming. And so even in Tokyo, where there are 37 million people, and we went to the Scramble, which is like the Times Square of Tokyo, and you know, thousands of people, there is an organized movement with the people in Japan. Like even when there are so many people, they are polite, they are courteous, and they move in a very organized fashion. Like, for example, we were in this shopping area, 
that was like 13 floors high. And there's escalators from the bottom floor all the way to the top floor. And jam-packed, jam-packed with people. But they they move on those escalators in a straight line. So it never stops moving. And if you're trying to cut in line, usually someone just lets you hop in line. But in a single file, up these escalators, never stops moving, but very concise. And or and which you know I love. It's like, and it was unbelievable to watch. It was, and it's like, they just do this. Nobody's trying to get ahead of you. Nobody's cutting in line. Nobody's yelling at you because you're moving too slow. They're just kind, 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 kind. And it's wonderful because I believe that kindness always spreads joy and that, I mean, and peace we contribute, yeah, to that and, feeling. Yeah. And if I were going to describe Tokyo, even with the massive amounts of people, I felt like it was peaceful, like there was a tranquility. And and we visited a couple temples. And we went to Kyoto for two days. We visited a couple temples. And again, just respectful, peaceful religious, spiritual, it just, uh, like you just don't get here. You just, there's no comparison. Wow. You sound yeah. a little bit transformed and inspired. A little, a little bit. I would say my next trip that I want to plan would be another trip to Japan, especially Singapore, Loved Singapore. I would go back to Singapore in a heartbeat. Different, a little bit different vibe, a little bit more Las Vegasy, but not really, but super fun. But Japan, I would like to spend a month in Japan. Okay. Well, you just took like the next three questions out of my mouth. <laughs> the first one being, would you go back to Japan? So obviously that's an enthusiastic yes. Yeah. Would you want to do a gang of six trip in Japan? Without a doubt, without, a, and, and I'll tell you, we were in, in Tokyo, we stayed at a Hyatt and we were in the concierge lounge one day and this group of six adults, and I think I mentioned this to you, this group of six, three couples came in and sat down and they had just arrived in Tokyo. It was clearly their first trip to Tokyo and it was like us. It was like our gang of six. There was that excitement, that joy of being together, the the anticipation of what they were going to do the next day, and and I missed I missed our gang of six so much at that moment. Even though we were having a great trip, I thought we are missing out. <laughs> we are missing out, and so yeah, absolutely, gang of six got to be a future trip. Soon. Okay, so would it be a future trip on like a cruise ship? Would you want to do it like that? Or would you just want to go into Tokyo and do it from land? Really good question. I think I would, you know how I love cruises. You know how I love to get on a ship, unpack, spend a day. In have a butler. Spot, have a butler. Yeah. But there's like, there's so much to do in Tokyo. And I know we are going to South America in January. And I know that there are several stops where we have more than a day at certain locations. And I think the cruise lines do that too in 
Asia where you might get two or three days in Tokyo? Because I can't imagine going to Tokyo for a day. There's so much to see. And then Kyoto, I would spend a week in Kyoto alone because it was such a cool place. I mean, I am so in love with that place. I can't even express how much I loved it. Well, this is actually huge because you've been the biggest, you have been the biggest uh, like X across going to the Orient or traveling to Japan. And now you're the biggest advocate. So that's pretty impressive. Good job, Tokyo. Yeah, right, right. Okay. And there's one other thing I have to mention before we wrap this up. So I felt like a schlub. And you? I kept, yeah, I kept telling my daughter in law this. Well, anyone who would listen, frankly, because in both Singapore and in Japan, I had never seen ever the entire society are impeccably dressed. There is not a hair out of place. And I mean that literally. There is not a hair out of place. And every down to every detail, even if I saw someone in sweats, there wasn't a wrinkle or a stain anywhere. They were perfectly pressed. Down, I don't know if there's. I saw one woman in all of Japan that or Singapore that didn't have lipstick on, and I said, at my age, I have to wear lipstick from now on. My daughter laughed at me when I said that. She said, "Mom, you're not a lipstick person." I said, "I am now because." I never saw any, and they always are wearing jewelry. Their clothes are unbelievable. And I laughed because I'm, I have a German body. I'm built like a German. In Tokyo, the clothing stores are built for Japanese women. And so I could have tried shopping, but I think I probably would have been suicidal at the end of it because nothing would have ever fit me. But their shops, their clothing are my dream. Like, these are the clothes I want to wear. Comfortable, but impeccable. And I feel like a schlub. Okay, well, the world stage needs to be listening to this. Let me just ask this question real quick. Would you consider everything they wore quiet luxury or just well-kept? Okay. Quiet luxury and well-kept. Like, and for example, and maybe not a good example. We were in Louis Vuitton. We made it to the second level. The guy knew we meant business. We were shopping. But there were probably four or five couples, not maybe Jeff's my age, not maybe not quite as old as we are, 40s and 50s, serious shoppers, where I could tell they were buying entire wardrobes. And not everything in Tokyo screams Louis Vuitton, when you're in their clothing section, they were pulling beautiful pieces. And out on the street, would I have been able to identify them as Louis Vuitton? No. But they were beautiful, beautiful pieces, quiet luxury. But they take a very a lot of care in how they shop for their quiet luxury. It sounds like it. Wow, Tokyo might have your heart. It does. I'm telling you, it that place is incredible. And we must go there. It's a gang of six. We must. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. 
Should we move on to closing or anything else you want to share about Tokyo? Nope. Let's move on. Okay. Thank you, Suzanne, for telling or sharing with us your adventures in Tokyo and Singapore. It sounds like you had a really good time and you actually were very surprised by what you found. That is a great summation of my trip. Okay. I do have to ask this question, though, because I've been listening to everything you said and you talked about the anxiety going, being narrow-minded. Now, as we approach our trip to South America, do you think you're going to step more into being open to the experience or being anxious about what's to come, the unknown? By nature, I am will be anxious about the unknown. But we have the we have the safety of our cruise ship, which I I take a lot of comfort in because I know that that's where I'm going back to at the end of the day. So I will be willing to explore to some degree because I know we're at the end of the day, we will be back on our safe ship. Okay. And they have a lot of fun excursions. I don't know if they're exactly your idea of fun, but like four, four wheeling and maybe zip lining, things like that, which I'm <laughs> yeah. really super excited about. Well, okay. Well, we'll talk later. <laughs> Okay. Well, with all that shared, why don't I give you something to sip on? It feels kind of perfect for the conversation we just had. Sounds good. So here we go. Okay. Each time you try something for the first time, you will grow. A little piece of the fear of the unknown is removed and replaced with a sense of empowerment. And that was said by Annette White. Love it. I love it too. And that's your something to sip on. Until next week, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.